0: Let's turn to Acts 2, and we're going to start with verse 1. It says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us hears them in our own na- native language? Parthians, Medes, Alamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia." Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. (laughs) This is not San Francisco. All right. um, (laughs) No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. The sun will return to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross." But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let my body see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here today, but he was a prophet and he knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life and we are witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, "'Repent and be baptized, every one of you, and in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit.'" The promise is for you, and for your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, "'Save yourselves from this corrupt generation.'" Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. and the Lord added to their number daily who were being saved. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that the grave could not hold Jesus. Father, I thank you that we are here today because Jesus is alive. And Father, I pray that this morning that you would open our hearts to who we are and the story that you've invited us to get involved with, with you. Father, I pray that all distractions, God, would just be quietened, God. and all resistance would be pushed back in Jesus' name. We say yes to you this morning and to what you want to speak to our hearts, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, I wonder why you're here this morning. Um, I wonder if you've ever considered, why, why do I go to church every day? Not every day, every week. Why do I walk through these doors on a Sunday morning? Why am I here? What is it about? Is it because we feel guilty? do we come because this is what good Christians do we're supposed to have you ever stopped and considered why do i go is it to feel really good like to get together with friends maybe brunch beforehand and just like have a good sunday morning or is there more to the church what drives us to be here and this morning we're going to be talking about the church we just read the story of pentecost and that's often referred to as the birth of the church but before we refer to that and we look at that in a little bit more depth I want to start at the beginning. Now, if you've been with us for a few weeks, you've been following along in this series called The Story of God. If you've missed any of the sessions, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to them on the podcast. You can find them on the reality website. The reason for that is this series really builds upon itself. So if you're here this morning and you're hearing me speak, I'm going to be referring to some things, referring to this story of God. And if you've missed those weeks, you kind of going to be like, what, what's this all about? So I want to encourage you to go back and look at those. So we're in this is the story of God. We've been asking ourselves, where do we find ourselves in this story? What is this story that we see through Scripture? What is this narrative, this story arc of Scripture? And we've been looking at that the last few weeks. And today, we're going to look at the church. But in the beginning, I want to start there. In the beginning, if we go back to the very beginning, in the Garden of Eden, in Genesis, We have God, and there's something that we learn about God from the get-go that's so foundational and key to what I'm going to share today. And so we're going to refresh it, and we're going to touch on it again. If we look at Genesis 1, it says, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth, subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the earth. See, God has always been about relationship and co-rule. And again, we've been learning about this over the last few weeks. It's priority for him. It's right at the, th- at the front. It's, it's like everything he ever wanted. And it's right there at the very beginning. We open our Bibles, flip. It's like, hey, you guys, I want to bless you. So go multiply and go rule and go enjoy this world that I've created. And this is the complete opposite of another, another character we see in the Old Testament, and that's Pharaoh. If you've been reading through the year of biblical literacy, you will have been familiar with the story of Pharaoh. And he was, of course, ruling over Egypt and over the enslaved Israelites. And we see in him the characteristics of a slave driver. We see someone that wanted to control. He didn't like that the Hebrew people were growing in number. He felt threatened by that. He wanted to control them, make demands of them, enslave them, give them no choice, give them no opportunity for contribution or blessing. But guys, God is not Pharaoh. God is not Pharaoh. His heart has always been about choice, relationship, co-rule, participation. It's always been about partnering with us. See, this tells us something about God that's really important. This truth about him being so focused on relationship tells us something really important about us. So we are called to be participants and not observers of this story. This story, this mission, this narrative, this thing that God has been about since sin came into the world, of coming back in, of restoring, of making things right, of bringing shalom. We are not supposed to be observers of that story. We are called to be participants of it. See, there's a huge difference between observers and participants. When I go see a movie or if I read a book, I'm observing. I'm sitting there, maybe eating some popcorn. I'm watching from a distance, somewhat disconnected. I might have an opinion. It might be good. I might be like, wow, this is a great story. I really appreciate this story. Or it might be, this kind of sucks. Like, I don't like this story. I might have criticism about this story. I'm just observing. I'm just watching. I have no input in the story. It doesn't matter how I feel about it because I'm not participating. The story's not gonna change because I didn't like an ending. It just is what it is and I'm just watching and I'm observing. Guys, some of us are living life like we're observers. We're living life like we're just watching. We're just watchers from a distance. And we're walking to church on a Sunday morning and we open our Bibles and we read about the story of God and we examine it and we study it And that was a great thing is, and then we close it and we put it away, we go, hmm, I have formed some opinions about that. I am watching the church. I am observing what God is doing in his story, but we're not actively participating in it. You see, the role of a participant is much more like an actor in a theater. There's a story playing out, and you know that you have a scene, and you're involved, and if you don't come in, it's like, what's going on? Like, we're missing somebody. We have a significant role to play, It matters. Our involvement matters. We're supposed to be involved. And you see, this is from the get go what God has always been about. I want to participate with you, I want to partner with you. And I want to challenge you this morning that God is calling you to be a participant in the story of God. God is calling you to be a participant in this mission that He has for San Francisco, for the Bay Area, for the world. He wants to shift us to being involved. Um, I have have an almost two-year-old, my son, Phoenix. He likes to watch this show called Dora the Explorer. Now, if you've yet to be introduced to preschool TV, let me just tell you about Dora. Dora's this little girl... Her best friend is a monkey called Boots. And they go on adventures. And the whole kind of the show, and don't judge my parenting here. I know he's not two yet, okay? He likes to watch TV. What can I say? But he, they go on this adventure, right? And they're climbing, and they're swinging, and they're making decisions as they go. And one of the reasons I think he loves this show is because it's interactive. Because some moments, Dora looks at the screen, she's like, hey, why don't you climb, or what's your favorite part, or let's go, and there's like these songs, and like, he's really interactive, you know, it's really fun to watch kids of this age being like, yay, and they're like climbing, and like, they're in it, and he's living into the story. He's living into the story of Dora. I know what's really fun too is like, when Dora's not on, he still lives the story, right? (laughs) Like, we'll be just doing stuff, and he'll be like, boots, Climb, climb. I'm like, yeah, that's right. Keep living it. Like, and, you know, he's even woken up in his sleep talking about these characters. He's absorbed into the story. And, guys, I think there's something that we could learn from children. This, so they dive in, and they're like, this is my story. And that's what I think God wants to say to us this morning. It's like, it's his story, but it's our story. It's his story, but it's our story, too, because we are called to participate We are called to have a contribution. God wants to do this with us. If you look through Scripture, you can see countless times again and again that God has chosen to partner with humans in order to fulfill his mission. If you just start looking through Scripture through that lens of like, okay, how did God get this done? How did God move the story along? How did this come about? Noah go build an ark, Abraham, have a son and start a nation, Deborah, lead Israel to victory, Esther, be a queen and save a nation. He's chosen every time to work through humans, men and women like like me and you. That is how God has chosen to fulfill his mission. God is passionate about relationship. And then here we are, and here's Pentecost, right? And here's Peter, getting up, and he has something to say. How did Peter know that he was supposed to do that? Like, he just received the Holy Spirit. He's probably feeling really good. He could have been like, you know what? I'm just going to go head home, tell my family, soak in this a little bit, feel the blessing, enjoy a meal together, just hang out, have a holy huddle. It's like... The moment he received the Holy Spirit, he's like, i got to get out there and participate in this story. And I would pose to you this morning that there's two reasons why he and the early church knew that they were participants in the story. And that is the story and the spirit. The story and the spirit. You might be thinking, well, okay, I'm familiar with the Great Commission, Jesus sent out his disciples right before he ascended to heaven, you know, go into all the nations. Maybe the early church had that in mind, and it's possible, maybe they did, but if you read through the book of Acts, it's not explicit. It doesn't say, here's the great commission, go do it. So what was driving them? Like how did they know that God loved the nations. How did they know? How did Peter know? Like, hey, I wanna get up. I wanna get involved. I have a part to contribute. I have something to do. And I think it's because they were so connected to the story of God. This was their story. And I think that's where we miss it. Somehow we get disconnected. Like, that's a cool story over there. I'm just gonna observe it. They live their lives as if they were living the story. They were key actors in the story. They had something to contribute. And so it was like this immediate compulsion of like, wow, yeah, we know history. We've seen the story of God, the narrative of God. It's always people involved moving the story along. And so it's like they were compelled by the story. I believe that they were missional in their approach to the world. They were people on a mission. They were participants. Are we missional? Are we on a mission Are we participating in what God is doing? There's a a church planter and an author of a book called Organic Church, Neil Cole, says the church is not sent on a mission by God. Rather, God is on a mission and the church is called to join him. That's just a very slight shift in our thinking. But God is on a mission and we're called to join him. What does that mean for our families, our workplaces, San Francisco, and beyond, wherever we're from? What does it mean that God is already on a mission? God is already doing something. God already has intentions. And we are invited this morning, we are invited to get on board with what God is doing. It's His mission, it's His story, but it's also ours. Are we convinced of God's mission? We've been reading through um, Year of Biblical Literacy. We've been going through this sermon series, The Story of God. But are you convinced? Are you absolutely, to the core of who you are, know that you know that you know that God is still on a mission? Because if we're not convinced, we create our own missions, right? Our own stuff, our own story. Our stories of distraction, pursuing our own kingdoms, serving our own selfishness. Seeking our own prosperity, which ultimately leads to these stories of destruction, right? Where we've made these bad choices and we look at our lives and, like, how did I get here? But if we're convinced that God is up to something and we are Christ followers, then we will be driven to enter into that story. How can we not be? The only way we cannot be is if we've chosen to be an observer and a watcher of the story. And let me tell you that if you look at Scripture, that isn't really the option for the church. There was no place of like, hey guys, here's, here's Jesus, and here's the Holy Spirit, and just go to brunch and just chill. Just like just study it and just talk about it. Like that's good, and I'm not saying we shouldn't brunch. I mean, we all like a good San Franciscan brunch, but, and we should study and we should examine, but it has to go beyond that. Right, We have to begin convinced to the point of action. And this morning, I sense that there's people here and you're kind of like, oh man, that's totally me. I'm an observer. Like I'm going to CG and I'm coming to church every week and I'm reading the story. And I'm, this is a good story. Yeah, oh, I don't know. I have problems with this story. What do you think about this story? And we're examining and we're studying together and then that's it. This morning, God wants to shift our hearts to say, that's my story, I'm in, I'm convinced, I want to be involved. But they had more than a story, and this is where we want to land for most of this morning. They had the spirit, right? They had the spirit, and that story of Pentecost is kind of wild. It's kind of a wild imagery. We've got fire, we've got lots of languages going on, we've got Peter getting up and getting really excited, Now, Pentecost was a Jewish festival. It was celebrating the giving of the Torah. And people, Scripture says that Jewish people came from all nations. They came from all over, speaking different languages, and they gathered. And halfway through that, you might have caught it. It really struck me when I read it. So the hearing, the gospel, the good news is being shared in all their languages. And suddenly they say, what does this mean? We need to ask the same question this morning. What does this mean? Is that just a a story that's thrown in the New Testament to get all the charismatics excited? (laughs) Or does it actually carry deep meaning in the context of the story of God? I think it does. I think it does. I think this is the next act in the play, right? We just had Jesus come, I mean, died, rose, rose again made it possible for our lives to be restored and renewed. And then here he is, and he gives a message. He gives a a word to his um, disciples in Luke 24. He says, I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. See, God knew he wasn't done. Jesus knew it wasn't over. There was a whole world to touch and reach with the story of salvation and restoration and renewal and that we as the church were called to be that, humans. But this was an incredible task ahead of us. What did we need? We needed power. We needed to be empowered to go and complete this call, this mission. See, Pentecost is not just a spiritual high or an experience. It's a crucial part in the story of God. Alan Hirsch is an author and leader in the missional church movement, and he writes, This is the church as God intended it to be, a gospel-empowered, unfettered people movement perfectly designed for nothing less than the transformation of the world and the destruction of the forces of evil. That is who the church is. And that is the task in front of us, transformation, destruction of evil. And here we are, we're like, we're just humans. And God's like, I know that. And so I'm going to empower you. I'm going to clothe you. I am going to give you what you need. And this is what Pentecost is all about. Don't get lost in the imagery, get lost in this big story of God. This was the next act. This is what we needed. This was God moving the story along that we as his church would be empowered. See, we had Jesus and we had him in the body and then we have the Holy Spirit. Jesus left and gave us his Holy Spirit in our bodies and Paul picks up with this imagery in the New Testament. Then we're suddenly the body of Christ. Do you get that transfer? We had the body of Jesus and then he gave us the Spirit so that we are all parts of that body and suddenly Jesus is now touching all over through us. We are parts of the body. We have something to contribute. We are participants. We are not a dead hanging piece that's unnecessary. Every single person in this room is needed for this mission, for this story to be fulfilled. When we start talking about power, some of us start feeling a little bit uncomfortable. And I think that's that's totally understandable in the world today. As the church, we are not called to go on a mission for God with violence and force, bullying, manipulation, coercion. That is not the kingdom of God. When we think about how God is moving his story along and how we participate with that, we need to remember who's leading us, the servant king who laid down his life. You see, we belong to a kingdom that says, lay down your life and you'll get it where the first will be last and the last will be first, when we move in forgiveness and selflessness and sacrifice. That's the kingdom that we're wanting to usher in. But don't think for a second that that means that this kingdom and this movement called the church is powerless. This church as God intended it to be, the people of God worldwide, we are accessing power at a deeper place. It is not a worldly kingdom and a worldly power that says you must, you have to. It's a kingdom that says, I will lay down my life. I will sacrifice. I will give up because of what Jesus has done for me and because I want you to have that. We are accessing a more divine power. Are you guys with me? Like, this is not a human power. This is not a power that forces and manipulates. And if you've been in a church and you've been in a community where that's been the norm, where that's been the culture, let me tell you, it's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God comes from this place that we don't understand. It's upside down. It's shifted. It's different. It's weird. It's not human, but it's power at a divine level. And when we enter into that stream of laying down our lives and saying yes to Jesus no matter the cost, that's when we access real power and we see the world transformed. See, we couldn't do this without Jesus, right? And we don't want to skip him because he's like, he's like the everything, right? We couldn't do this empowerment thing. We couldn't go out and change the world. Jesus had to come. He had to die and be resurrected because our hearts, we couldn't change them. We can't do it without him. We can do a lot of good works, a lot of moral works, but we can't be transformed at a heart level without what Jesus did on the cross and through his resurrection. You see, some of us think that Jesus came to give us a golden ticket so we can be like, phew, okay, I'm getting into heaven. And let me tell you this morning, it's not about your golden ticket. Jesus didn't come so he can be like, oh, here you go, here you go, you guys are good. Just peace out, chill, and eventually you're going to get to heaven. He came to completely transform us. And that wasn't so we could just go home and say, you know what, guys, I'm different. I feel so good about myself. This is so great. It was for the purpose of transforming the world. So Jesus came, he died, he rose again. He did what we could not do. He restored and renewed our hearts so that this whole world could be restored and renewed. We can't do it without Jesus. So what is the church? Paul uses this Greek word, ecclesia, and it's literally translated to gathering or called out ones when Paul uses the term, he's not, he's not talking about a building. It doesn't matter where we meet. It doesn't matter whether we meet here in Everett, in a school, in a cathedral, in a small little hut in Vietnam. Like, it doesn't matter about the building. This word church or ecclesia denotes more about our identity. And what's really fascinating about this word is that at the time that he used it, it wasn't just a religious word. It actually had more connections to political and social spheres. It was a word that was used. And at the time, it was used to describe a gathering of elders of a community. And these elders had the role of discussing social and political issues. Like, they were involved with their community, and they were discussing issues at hand. And they had a purpose for their gathering, and that was to bring about harmony, and well-being for the wider community. See, they were a community within a community, making a difference, bringing about well-being, bringing about change, adding value to that community. So if Paul is using this word when he's talking about us here today and he's saying, hey, church, it's not just like, hey, people that get together in a building and talk about Jesus, and feel great, but hey church, that's supposed to be a community, within a wider community, San Francisco, Bay Area, wherever you're from, and you're actually coming together with a purpose to see your communities bettered, to see, add value to your community, to bring about harmony, to discuss issues that go beyond Reading scripture, or you know, how are your kids doing, or you know, how are you feeling today? But actually, the big issues, actually, the things in our city, in our world that need to be addressed, Paul is saying we as a church are supposed to be involved in that, we are supposed to be participating in that. God's story. Is not just about us. And you guys, I, wanna, I really want to shake us this morning because it's so easy, and I do it too, to fall into like, oh, my CG, or my church, or even my family. Those things are great. We should come together on Sunday and encourage one another. You know, that's why I read the end of that chapter. We should be breaking bread together and having relationship and having community, but it doesn't end there, guys. There's so much more that the the church is called to be involved in. When we look at homelessness in San Francisco, we are called to participate in that. When we look at the tech companies in San Francisco, we're called to be involved in tech and business. We're called to be involved in reaching more families, more kids. All of this stuff that makes up our community, we are community called out, filled with the Holy Spirit, anointed for the task, sent out to go and do something. N.T. Wright has this beautiful quote, which I've kind of been hanging out in. Um, he says, Those in whom the Spirit comes to live are God's new temple. They are individually and corporately places where heaven and earth meet. Man, that imagery just like, it grabs my heart that we are a new temple. And that in us, it's where heaven, Holy Spirit, Jesus, touches earth, like we meet, we meet in that place. When we separate and go out from here, back into our jobs, into our workplaces, into our homes, into our schools, it's like we're carrying that little bit of heaven, that divine, the spirit of God, and that's where it touches earth. I want you to think about that this morning. What does it look like For heaven to come where God has placed you? What does it look like for heaven to come in your family, in your marriage, in your workplace, in your school? That we're almost like this portal to Jesus. And that when we show up, heaven shows up. Jesus shows up. And it's not that he wasn't there before. I mean, he's doing his thing, but he has chosen to partner with us. That means it matters. It matters how you show up. It matters if you show up. It actually matters if you know you're part of the story. It actually matters. There's a weight of that as the church that we need to walk in with grace, but just knowing that it matters if we're partnering with Jesus on this mission. Just like Abraham were called to be a a blessing, to be a source of peace and abundance and life, the kingdom would come through us. See, this morning, I think there's an invitation for us to participate with God. But some of us are observers for a reason. Some of us have grown up feeling that we had no significance. And you might be like, you know, I've got a good job and my family's doing okay and I'm kind of holding it together. If all of that was stripped away and underneath, do we know that we are significant in the kingdom of God? See, some of us disqualify ourselves. We hide behind, oh yeah, you know, I'm busy, or I'm just not sure that's really for me. But let's dig deeper this morning and let's just push all of that aside. Some of us have disqualified ourselves because we think, I've made so many dumb choices, I've missed it. I've missed it. There was a moment, the train, the Jesus came, train came along and he invited me on and I just turned my back and I went the other way. And now I'm sitting here listening to this message, but it's not for me. Let me tell you this morning, this is for you. And as I was speaking, as I was preparing to speak this morning, the Lord so heavy put on my heart that there are those of you that here this morning feel like you've missed your opportunity to get on board in this story of God, and this mission of God. You felt like you should have made different choices. Should have had different relationships. You've missed out. You've got entangled in your own stories of distraction and destruction. You chose drugs. You chose pursuing your own goals. And the Lord says to you this morning, I still want you. I still want you. And I want to encourage you because I feel like so strongly there's hearts here. You need to be encouraged and invited back in. Let me tell you, there is nothing that you could do that will disqualify you for being part of the church. Some of you have felt like you've been on the edges. You felt like you don't belong. I just want to expose that as a lie of the enemy this morning. The enemy would love to tell you you don't belong in church, whether it's this one or another one. Those people don't want you. If they only knew about your story, if they only knew the decisions you'd made, if your parents only knew... Like, and this is the stuff that accusation that just comes because there's power in a church united. And so let's just pick them off one by one by one. And we think it's just us. But let me tell you in this room, there's a ton of you here today that are feeling that, that are feeling like you've disqualified yourself from the story. You haven't. Jesus still wants you. It's an invitation this morning. Some of you here this morning are like, yeah, gosh, I'm an observer. I've been an observer my whole life. And it may not just be with the story of God. It's in relationships. So it's in your family. It's in your work. And you're stuck in this place of just like, "I, I want to, but I don't know how. I feel like I've got nothing to contribute God wants to move you this morning, and he does that by his spirit. It's like we don't have to muster it up and strive. When we say yes to him and we say, God, I want to make that move, I tell you, he somehow, somehow he does it. It's like a divine work of Jesus. It's actually what he's very good at. That's his thing. Like He's kind of like a professional at that. And so like when we say, I do want that, but I don't know how, just tell him that. Just come forward this morning, come grab the prayer team and be like, I don't know how. I want to say yes, and I've made bad choices, but I want to get back on. Jesus will do it for you. He'll do it in you when we come into agreement with him. I sense that this morning there's people here, and you have been hurt by the church. You have been hearing the mission of God your whole life. In fact, your your family was on a mission so hard that you were neglected, you were ignored. It was all about doing God's work. It was all about ministry and missions and laying down our lives. And in the meanwhile, you just got pushed to the side and ignored. And now you just, it's just like the church is kind of arm's length. Like, I don't want any of that religion. You know what? I don't want any of that religion either. And neither does Jesus. I want to say to you this morning that if you have been a casualty of someone not realizing that you were part of the mission, that you were part of the story that should never have been neglected, never have been tossed aside or ignored, I want you to come forward this morning for prayer because God wants to heal you. There's some of you that have like, ah, church, and there's this underlying experience, maybe as a child, maybe as a young person, of being pushed aside by religion or told that you had to, you had to, you had to, and it was all about working and all about striving. That is not the Jesus of the Bible. Let me tell you, he's after the nations and he's after your heart. Like there is no difference. Right, And some of us grew up in church or we've had an experience in church or ministry. It was like, go work harder. Go do more because God cares about those people, those people. But you never heard the message that God cares about you. And he does. It's not either or, it's both. He loves you. He's just enamored with you. The story of the Bible is God going after us again and again. And even when we turned around, even when we're Israel and we go, Shh, I don't want that. God's just like, I'm still here. You can't shake him. He just loves you so much. He's going to pursue you. If that's been your experience of church, if that's been your experience growing up, there's a healing, there's a, there is just an anointing for healing here this morning. There's a verse in 1 Peter 2, 9. It says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. As we close this morning, I want to encourage you, church, to get into who you are. Get into who you are. It's not that you need to do something to get there. It's who you are called as the church, your holy nation, a royal priesthood chosen by the Lord. But it's not just so we could feel good. It's so that we can declare his praises, so we can go out and we can affect the world that God has called us to be a community within a community. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much the Lord Jesus, you are about the nations. Lord, we see that in the story of Pentecost. All these languages, all these languages, so that you could reach everyone. You've always been about the nations. You've always been about going out there and touching and reaching everyone. You're calling us to be a missional church that would say yes There's some of us even here today and we're called to overseas missions and we've been ignoring the call of God on our life and the Lord wants to remind you of that call this morning. There's some of you in this room, you're called to go and you've been putting it off and you've been resisting because you've been worrying about money. You've been worried about if you'll ever get married. You've been worried about because it's so scary, the unknown and the Lord wants to remind you this morning. He is inviting you into an adventure a story, Lord, I thank you that you are moving our hearts even as we're here this morning. Lord, I pray for those that have grown up in families or churches where it was all about the mission and never about their heart, where neglect and just not being heard were just staple in the family, in the church. Lord, I thank you that you are such a loving God. You love us, you love San Francisco. Wherever we are right now, Lord, I pray that you would begin to drop in our hearts. How have you called us to be missional? Where have you placed us? For some of us it's to go, some of us it's right here. The nations are on our doorstep here in San Francisco. People that have never heard about you. And Lord, I believe you're stirring your church this morning and that some of us just need to say yes, That's me, and I don't know how to do it, but I want to be a participant and not an observer."